What's up, ABF Online? So good to see you. Hopefully you're having a fantastic day and you're ready to get into some awesome worship and into God's word. Why don't we just get right into it? It's June, it's summertime. Let's go. Good to see you. Some may trust in horses. Some may trust in chariots. Oh, but I... I'm on trust in the name of the Lord. Some may trust in riches. Some may trust in all they own. Oh, but I, I will trust in the name of the Lord. Why? Because there is one. Praise you in the valleys all the same No less God 
Valley Hill called Calvary. But for the one I call Good Shepherd, who like a lamb was slain for me. I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountains in my way. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good nights. Whenever you're watching this, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in a time of worship. Uh, we as a staff, we just hope and pray that uh, this time together with us is just a blessing uh, for you uh, throughout the week. Well, uh, as you know, we love praying for you. Man, there is a lot going on uh, overall and just in our week and day to day. And, and, and prayer is something that uh, should not be taken for granted. And we love to pray for you. We as a staff, we find it a privilege and honor to be able to pray for you. So you can send your prayer requests, your confidential prayer requests to 97,000. 97,000, you can send those in anytime you'd want. And just know uh, we do take those serious and we do pray for you. Well, there is a lot happening at Agora. We have things going on, children, students, adults, tons of things. And uh, we would love for you, if you are interested in finding out more information about what is happening, uh, to, go our, to go to our website at agorabible.org, and you can find endless information. And while you're on there, uh, you'll see a Give tab. Uh, that's where you can make a donation. And as you know, uh, our ministries are only possible through your generous financial support. And we would be so grateful if you would just uh, consider, uh, prayerfully consider uh, to make a donation. Uh, we would so appreciate that. Well, before we spend a few moments in God's Word together, uh, let me pray before we get to it. Well, Father, we thank you so much for uh, this church and for the ministries that we're able to do. And uh, we just thank you so much for the people that are tuning in, that are listening uh, right now, uh, that are sending out their prayer requests, uh, that are sitting down on the couches ready to dig into your word, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that the distractions will leave, that the outside voices will uh, be cleared, and that uh, we can hear your spirit, Lord, that you will speak to us and exactly what you want to 
to hear uh, for today, Lord. Uh, we thank you so much uh, for who you are, for your faithfulness, and uh, we love you so, so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much, worship team. Uh, hello again, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have a question for you. I was wondering if you know that guy. Do you know that guy? You know the guy that always has a new hobby or a new interest, like the guy that gets really into something for a little while and then it might just fade away because something else comes along. I know that guy. I know that guy, a uh, guy that uh, is totally like that over the past few years has picked up a number of new hobbies and interests and gets super fired up about them. Uh, recently, uh, Formula One has become a thing. I don't know if you're in this camp as well, but watched, he watched Drive to Survive, then got hooked, and now knows all the drivers and the teams and all that is recording the races, recording the qualifying even, and getting all into that. Another one, like many others during COVID, got into golf. He bought some golf clubs. There was nothing else to do. Buys clubs, gets out there, is golfing. And now he's even watching the PGA on TV. Really into it. The third one that might be the most interesting out of the bunch is the TV show Survivor. He got really hooked on Survivor. Uh, watched all 40 seasons. That's right, there's 40 seasons over the course of one year. He plays Fantasy Survivor, started doing slide puzzles. He even bought a machete, flint, and corn husk so that he could practice making fires uh, and was seriously looking into being on the show. And I'm telling you what, like that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there are plenty others that I could have listed on there as well. Needless to say, he has an amazingly patient wife. She is the best. Babe, thank you so much for being so patient. That's right, it's me. I can't help it. I just get so excited about things. Uh, new interest, new hobby comes up. I get all about it, super fired up. Sometimes they last, sometimes they don't. And I'll tell you what, that is the biggest thing that I've noticed it, with these new hobbies and interests is that they all have different lifespans. Like the lifespans vary big time. Sometimes they stick around for a while and I'm like into it even months, years down the road and some of them just fizzle out immediately. For instance, with Survivor, not to bore you too much, but yes, I watched all 40 seasons over the course of one year. It was a lot of Survivor. One, it was COVID, and two, truth be told, it was right in the aftermath of JJ, and I was just kind of coping, and that was like, Survivor was my escape. Like, I just went to Survivor. Not the healthiest thing. I'm not saying it was a good thing, but that's just kind of what happened. Uh, I got so fired up about it. I was dead set that I was going to be on the show. I was like planning out my audition video. I was like taking notes on like interview questions that they might ask and like coming up with good answers. I was practicing puzzles. I literally bought a machete, corn husk, and flint so I could practice making fires. Like I was all about it until I wasn't. Eventually the passion kind of dissipated and other priorities took over, came in and filled up. When I really counted the cost and I thought about being away from now that Holly's here, now the idea of leaving Lindsay with uh, one child and now a second on the way, the idea of being away for multiple months at a time, taking vacation time away from work and my family just didn't all add up. The cost just got too high. And so I completely stopped moving in that direction. It's interesting in scripture, Jesus himself cautions those that would come after him and want to follow him. He cautioned them to count the cost. It's not just a little hobby for a passing little bit of time, not just a silly little interest for a little bit. The call of Jesus was to die to ourselves to die to ourselves, to make him Lord and King of our lives, giving him complete control of everything in our life. That is the call of a disciple of Jesus still today. Is it worth it? Absolutely yes. And as we've seen from earlier in this study, in the series of Hebrews, Jesus is greater than everything, but it's not always 
easy. Endurance is required in following Jesus. Endurance is required in following Jesus because it's not just a silly little hobby. It matters more than anything else in this life. So in today's text, our author gives us three different illustrations about what following Jesus is like, and each one requires endurance. Uh, I'm excited about this passage. Uh, I think it's going to be both encouraging and challenging. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then let's just get into God's word together. Dear Father, um, Lord, thank you so much for a chance to be together even online again. Um, Lord, I ask that you would just have your way in this time. Lord, I ask that you would communicate clearly the truths from your word that you want to communicate. God, I honestly just hope that you would keep me out of the way and that you would say whatever you want to say to whoever's watching at any given point, um, even years down the road. Um, Lord, I pray that you would use it in neat ways in people's lives and in their hearts. Uh, We need your Holy Spirit to move and stir in our hearts uh, right now. So we ask for that, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, uh, we have spent the last few weeks in Hebrews chapter 11, a famous chapter called the Hall of Faith, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. It's very encouraging just hearing the different stories, Uh, stories of those from the Old Testament, people that went before us that were being commended for their faithfulness. All of them had interesting stories. All of them had ups and downs, but so encouraging to hear about their faith. So as we get here into chapter 12, I wanted to give you a little teaser before we start. It'll help kind of set the scene. So here in chapter 12, the very first line of verse one talks about a cloud of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses. So a cloud is a classic Greek metaphor for a large multitude. And here in verse one, it's just referring back this large multitude to the people that we just talked about in the hall of faith in chapter 11. Now the question in referring to this cloud of witnesses is the author saying that they And other believers are looking down on us, kind of like as spectators here now, watching us how we live our lives. Is that that what they're doing? Uh, I don't know. Maybe if I'm being honest, as I've kind of studied through this week, my leaning is towards no. I'm leaning towards no, that's not what it is. Uh, The first thing is I think it's kind of weird. Like I get Truman Show vibes. If you've ever seen the old Jim Carrey movie, which is super weird. Uh, But the other thing is like this idea of motivation by impressing others that are like have gone before us. I don't know. It just seems a little interesting, weird. I don't know if that's the best motivation even uh, as I think about it. Personally, I think it's more about a motivation from example. A motivation from example. Just this past week, I got an email update with this cool video uh, from a friend who is now a missionary in Papua New Guinea. We know her through Hume Lake Christian Camps, and now she's been there for a while. Uh, I want to say it's been a number of months, and she's learning language and all this stuff. Anyways, all that to say is her example, seeing how she's following after the Lord passionately, is such a cool and encouraging motivation. And I think that's what this is talking about. Their lives, the lives of the people in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, should serve as an encouragement and a motivation as we also today strive to live by faith and follow Jesus. All right, that being said, let's actually read some scripture. Come on, Hebrews chapter 12 We're going to see this, our first of three illustrations. Following Jesus is like being in a race. Endure focused. Verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So stopping there, um, when I first told Lindsay my passage for today and she read through it, her initial reaction was she just laughed. And the reason why is because you might laugh when you hear about my latest and greatest newest hobby slash interest that I'm all about. The latest and greatest is triathlons. So I have never done a triathlon before. I really don't have much experience at all swimming or biking. I've done plenty of running before, but never done anything like that. I've just kind of been craving a new physical challenge and everything kind of came together and I've been getting so fired up about triathlons. I've been like buying stuff. Uh, for over the last few months, most nights, uh, you'd find me out either in the pool, in our little community pool down the way, which isn't very big and actually hasn't been heated up until this last weekend. Uh, so before that, I was literally out there in my wetsuit, just like swimming laps. I looked amazing, uh, really cool guy. Uh, I've been doing that. I don't have a, a, a road bike yet. I'm in the market trying to figure that out, but I've been out on the stationary bike and been out running. So I've been doing that a ton. Uh, one time I've done all three uh, at the same back to back to back, just trying to figure it out. But my goal, my goal is a few years down the road, I kind of see this as a long-term play, two years down the road, working my way towards doing an Ironman. Ironman is a super long triathlon. It's a 2.4 mile swim, so super long swim. It's a 112 mile bike, really long bike ride, and then it ends up with a marathon for a run, 26.2 miles. Uh, we'll see, I mean, that's the goal. I, I'm not planning on fizzling out, but that's kind of the goal. That's where I'm headed, I hope, we'll see. But I say all that because that's kind of the picture here that the author is using. The picture of what it's like to follow Jesus, it's like competing in an Ironman. It's like competing in a long distance run. And there are a number of similarities that we see here in the text today. The first is this, our race has been set before us. Look there in verse one, our race has been set before us. Racers in a run don't get to set their own course they don't get to pick and choose which parts of the course they go on or not. The course is set for them. They just run on the path that they have. Similarly for us, as we follow Jesus, the race, our course, man, there it's just set for us. We are just running what's in front of us, what the Lord has for us. If any of us could go back over the course of our lives and change course, and take out little pieces of the course, we would. I know I would. I would go back over the course of my life and change things, take out little pieces of the course for sure. However, we cannot. The second similarity is there in verse one as well. We need to lay aside every weight. We need to lay aside every weight. There's a guy in our church um, who will remain anonymous by his choosing, who does ultra marathons. Uh, he runs 100 milers, so like 100 miles back to back. Maybe that's why he wants to remain anonymous because he's a little crazy, right? Uh, I'm just kidding. I, I love you. Um, he runs 100 milers. And so I was just kind of picking his brain about what it's like to run a race like that because I thought it was so fitting for our conversation today. One of the questions I asked him was, what do you carry? Like, what do you carry with you while you're racing? And everything, like he kind of went into like a lot of details on a couple of different elements, but everything was so focused. Everything was so intentional. He started talking about his clothing and how important his clothing was. And everything was very, very lightweight. The only other things, as I was asking, like, what else would you consider carrying? The only other things he carries are related to hydration and nutrition, just the bare essentials. No phone, no wallet, no nothing. He said the less he carries, the better. The reason why is because the ultimate goal is finishing the race. Any extra unnecessary weight whatsoever, even if it might be nice to have, is just not worth bringing because it could potentially hinder from the ultimate goal of finishing the race. Here in our text, there in verse one, the author cites two distinct categories of weights. He talks about weight, just kind of in general, and then he talks about sin. 
Sin uh, is kind of the obvious detriment, right? As we think about making the illustration come into our spiritual lives, it's obviously a weight. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our second section. But I wanted to talk briefly here about just that first weight in general that the author is talking about here. I think it's a little bit less obvious of a detriment because it's not evil things necessarily. It's not straight outright sin, but they absolutely, these weights, whatever they may be in our lives can slow us down and could potentially hinder and stop us from finishing our race, can stop us from following after Jesus. My first question for you today is other than sin, is anything weighing you down in your passionate pursuit of Jesus? Is anything weighing you down in your passionate pursuit of running after Jesus? Um, I spent just a little bit of time just like processing through, like what does that actually look like? And so I came up with just a very brief list and we'll put it up here on your screen. Uh, But just wanted to talk very briefly about this list. Uh, I think the first thing that could be weighing people down in our relationship uh, with Jesus and following him and passionately pursuing him, be a relationship. Could absolutely be a relationship. And I know that this is a nuanced conversation. I think in some scenarios, that relationship just needs to be transformed, transformed into an encouraging relationship in which both of you run and passionately pursue Jesus together. And in some situations, the relationship probably just needs to be laid aside. If we're being completely honest, just needs to be laid aside. The second thing I came up with is a doubt or an insecurity. A doubt or an insecurity. Something that's just like holding you up. Just a doubt about faith, about the Lord that you just can't get out of your mind. An insecurity, something that's holding you back from passionately, boldly proclaiming who Jesus is and following after him with all that you are. And my, man, my thought is just, if there's something like that, man, lean into it. Get answers, whatever it takes, rather than staying stuck and stagnant. The third thing, a distraction, a non-essential use of time. And this could look like anything from Netflix, right? From sitting on the couch and using too much time, just vegging, to something like training for an Ironman, legitimately. I even had this conversation with the Lord of, I don't want this thing, this thing that I am going to be spending time to take away from ultimate purpose in life, from family, from following after Jesus with everything that I am. If there's anything that is being used as an excuse And only you can know this for yourself, but if there's anything that's being used as an excuse of saying, man, I don't have time to passionately pursue after this relationship with Jesus, it might just be a weight that needs to be laid aside. And the last thing I wrote is an idol. I think that kind of the most, I don't know, most natural, obvious one, popular one that would come up would be the idea of work or money and just kind of pursuing just monetary money gain, work, success, etc. Uh, my intention is not to come down on men and women and parents that uh, are in the workforce and providing for their families by no mean. Uh, man, I want to encourage and come alongside and say, man, thank you for loving your families well and for providing for them. It's so, so important. Um, however, there is a point, right? There is a point at some point it becomes an idol. It becomes a weight. Uh, as I was studying this week, I found it very interesting that gold weighs almost twice as much as lead. If you're talking about weights that you're carrying, if you're just pursuing gold and carrying as much gold and money as you can, gold is almost twice as much as lead, So number one, the course is set before us. Number two, we need to lay every weight aside. And the third similarity is that it's really important where we look. We see that there in verse two. It is really important where we look. So I also asked our ultra marathon guy, hey, what do you you look at? Like when you're running, like what do you look at? It's a lot of hours of just running. What are you looking at? And he said that it is super important to focus on the ground ahead because one wrong step could end a race. One wrong step could end a race. If you've ever done any trail running, you know this to be true. I was just running up on a trail earlier this week 
Absolutely true. And especially the faster I was going, if I didn't have my eyes down and looking where I was stepping, a rock, a crack, a crevice, rolled ankle, bummer for the race. Absolutely taking you out. And here, verse two tells us where we need to focus in our race of following Jesus. It says we need to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Some versions say, uh, and I like this version a lot, some versions say that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes. That's exactly where we need to have our focus at because he is the ultimate example of endurance. The ultimate example of endurance. He tops the class of the hall of faith Chapter 11, Hebrews 11, he tops the class. Not only do we need to look to his endurance, but we also need to look to the finish line because we see here the joy set before him. The joy that was set before him that he is now experiencing and that he is preparing already for us. What type of racer are you? What type of racer are you? If I was to take a spiritual snapshot of you in your spiritual race following after Jesus, if I was to take that spiritual picture, what would you look like? How much extra weight would you be carrying on you? And where would your eyes be focused at? I think that is such a good question for us to evaluate our own lives and our own races as we follow and pursue Jesus. What would that spiritual snapshot look like of you? The second illustration that the author uses is that following Jesus is like being in a fight. Endure temptation. Verse three. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle, in your fight against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I'm not going to lie. I love verse four. Gets me all fired up. It's kind of like this call out. Um, The Lord has used this verse in my life in a powerful way. And it's kind of like this motivational speaker as what it's been in my life saying, Josh, uh, you can endure temptation. You can fight this temptation that's coming your way harder. Josh, that temptation that just kicked your butt that just knocked you out was so weak. That temptation that you gave into was nothing. Like it just knocked you out. It was this weak little jab. Like he barely skimmed you and yet you went down for the count. Um, No joke. The Lord used this verse at a very pivotal point in my life, kind of like a life-changing like time in my life that I look back to. Uh, The Lord used this to kind of kick my butt a little bit saying, man, you uh, have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Kind of a stake in the ground moment for me. So uh, on the other hand, I want to be completely clear. Uh, I understand that enduring and resisting temptation is not just a personal, just go get them, kid. You can do it. Just try harder. You've got it in you. Uh, I know that there is a lot involved into the enduring and resisting of temptation. There's a wisdom element involved. There is a strategy element involved. There's getting help. There's accountability. And undoubtedly, there is a spiritual God element that comes in when enduring and resisting temptation. No doubt there is. In scripture, the Lord promises us that he will provide a way out when temptation comes. He will provide a way out. 1 1 Corinthians 10, 13, one of the biggest memory verses in all of scripture promises that for us, and it is true. He comes, he provides a way out, but then the fight begins. Then the fight begins. The question is, will you take the way out that the Lord provides? And the the author here of Hebrews is saying, endure, fight harder. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Verse three, he says, consider Jesus. He literally died for you. 
Jesus literally died for you. Arm yourself with that way of thinking. If you were to be literally tortured for your faith in following Jesus, stick with me here. If you were to be literally tortured for your faith in following Jesus, do you think you would go home afterwards and fall to the same easy, weak temptations on the little pleasures of life that you did before? Absolutely no, you would not. Absolutely you would not. Josh, that's a little dramatic. That's a little over the top. I don't think it is. And the reason why is because it's not just here in Hebrews that this author is talking about it. Peter said the exact same thing. First Peter four verses one through two says this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Literally, the writers of scripture are saying, use this as a technique. Use this as a technique to endure temptation. If it seems over the top to you, uh, may I I humbly suggest Uh, that it's just possible that you might not have the most accurate view of how devastating sin can be. The truth about sin, and we see it here in verse one. The truth about sin, and we see it here in verse one, is that it clings so closely. It clings. Picture, the best picture I could come up with is of a snake. It clings so closely And eventually, in the end, it will devour you. I heard a story, I believe it was at a conference that we went to. It was about a woman who had a pet snake. Speaking of snakes, she had a pet snake. And she was the type of woman uh, and snake owner that kind of let the snake roam around, right? Didn't just keep it in the cage, in the aquarium, in the whatever they're called. I don't even know. I'm not, I don't have no pet snakes. Uh, And she kind of let it roam around. Uh, to me, kind of crazy. And she noticed this change in behavior with a snake. And so she went to speak to a snake expert to see if she could like figure out what in the world was going on. So she would let the snake, as I said, roam around. She'd let the snake sleep in her bed with her. And she noticed over the last period of time that the snake's behavior had changed at night. She would wake up in the morning and the snake would be completely straight, stretched out, laying right next to her body, just right next to her, completely straight. And she was telling this expert about what was going on. And he said, oh my goodness, it's such a good thing that you came to me. You are an incredible, incredible danger. Because what that snake is doing, it is stretching itself out. It's trying to size you up. And as soon as it thinks it's ready, it is going to eat you alive, literally whole. I heard that illustration and I thought, oh my gosh, that is the picture of sin. There is no pet sin. Our sin is sizing us up, ready to devour us. There are no pet sins. So the question here is what kind of fighter are you? How strong is your chin? How big of a hit can you take? Our third illustration is that following Jesus is like being in a family. Endure discipline. Verse five. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then the author quotes Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, which says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. End of Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So I don't know what your response is when hearing it. I don't know kind of the gut feeling that comes out as you hear that scripture read. I would imagine uh, amongst all of you out there watching and listening, there's definitely going to be a little bit of difference there. Uh, There are two main words in this section, uh, discipline and father. And based upon your understanding of those two words and what are meant there, that's going to have implications on how you hear that passage in your head. And so I just want to talk a little bit about each of those two words. The first one is discipline. Discipline, the word here, the Greek word, it is not synonymous with punishment. Some of your minds probably went immediately there, just equated discipline and punishment equal. Uh, That is an incorrect substitution. The word here for discipline that we're talking about is child training. Child training is the picture here. Uh, In my study, I came across a a pastor, uh, Pastor Cole, uh, who had a couple of good things to talk about, the differentiation between discipline and punishment. And my mind kind of took what he was saying and made a little chart that I thought would be helpful for you. It was helpful for me to kind of visualize uh, what he was talking about. And so we're going to put that up on the screen and just wanted to chat through that pretty quickly. You see here that there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Under punishment, God is acting as a judge. Under discipline, God's acting as a father. Under punishment, the sinner is the one who pays for sin. And under discipline, Jesus is the one who pays for sin. In punishment, God's goal is justice. And in discipline, God's goal is correction, restoration, and holiness. There's a significant difference between the two, as you can see here, just even in this small little chart. And really the only criterion, the only criterion is relationship status. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a son or a daughter, and we are only talking about discipline. We are not talking about punishment here at all. It is so important not to get our wires crossed. Discipline is very different from punishment. Discipline is a good, good thing as we see here in our passage. And our second word, father, kind of builds on this. It was even mentioned there in the top half in that chart. So I have been honored to hold the title of father for the last almost three years. Uh, It's been really fun to kind of live in that a little bit more over the last 14 months. Uh, I've kind of hinted to it, but for those that don't know our story, we lost a four-day-old son back in October of 2019. And then we have a little daughter, Holly, who's 14 months. Um, So I know that I'm really early in the dad uh, process, I I know, but I can already see how child training, how discipline is like going to be a thing. Like I can already see how it is. Uh, As Holly's dad, Man, I love her so much. It's honestly, from time to time, it's kind of overwhelming how much I love her. Uh, Overwhelming how much I love that little girl. And I desperately, desperately want what's best for her. Uh, Therefore, uh, I'm going to discipline her. I'm going to train her to the absolute best of my ability to help shape her into a girl that loves the Lord that is respectful, that is selfless, that is responsible, uh, because I know that if I do not discipline her, if I forego discipline, if she goes undisciplined, children that are undisciplined, uh, man, they're selfish, they're entitled, irresponsible, disrespectful, uh, not the route I want. Foregoing discipline is not loving parenting by any stretch of the imagination. So right now, uh, Holly is learning and kind of figuring out how to walk. Uh, For those that have had toddlers understand uh, it's an entertaining and interesting process. Uh, Does she end up falling down a lot? Uh, She does. Uh, Is there occasional pain and even tears? Yes. 
Uh, but man, just falling down is a part of the process. It's a part of learning how to walk. I do not enjoy seeing her cry. And if there is a scenario in which I think she's going to get seriously hurt, do I intervene? Absolutely. I, as her loving father, intervene. Uh, currently, she's kind of on the verge of being able to understand consequences. Uh, I understand that up until this point in parenting, I've really just been keeping her alive and feeding her and like, you know, like all that stuff. Uh, but I'm anticipating very soon we're going to start getting into kind of the nitty gritty of parenting and like direct consequences for actions. Uh, man, in the next few months, the next year or so, as she understands more, am I going to discipline her? Are there going to be uh, direct consequences that I um, bring her way because of her actions? Absolutely, that is going to happen. Uh, am I going to do it perfectly? Well, yeah, of course. I'm a new dad that has zero experience and I know everything, right? No, of course I'm not gonna do it perfectly. There's no way I'm gonna do it perfectly. Look there at verses nine and 10. I am going to discipline my children as seems best to me in order to train my children, but my discipline is not perfect. However, God's discipline is. God's discipline is perfect. It is for our good, and it's leading us towards sharing in his holiness. Right there in verse 10. So, as Holly gets a little bit older, may there come a time where she makes bad decisions, and I have to willingly just let her deal with the consequences of her bad decisions, even though it might mean huge consequences, big ramifications. Man, absolutely. I, being a high school pastor, having conversations with parents, having conversations with friends' parents, that's going to be so, so difficult. I am not going to enjoy that. But if it is for my kids' best, and I think it is going to be the best for them in the long run, I will absolutely let them go through whatever they need to go through in order to be for their best. The Lord is a perfect dad who disciplines his kids with their absolute best interest in mind. Sometimes the Lord directly initiates consequences based on our actions. Sometimes there are just natural consequences based on our actions. And sometimes horrible things just happen not as a result of anything that we've done before because we just live on this stupid, broken, sinful planet before eternity comes. I was thinking about it this week. Do I think that us losing our four-day-old son was the Lord initiating consequence because of our sin or things that we had done? No way. Do I think that it was just the natural consequence of something that we have done? I don't. Do I think it was just something terrible that just happened on this dumb, broken planet? I do. But how amazing is it that we have a God that can take the absolute worst of situations and transform it and use it as training, as discipline in our lives in order to bring us into a place that is closer to him, into a way that follows him better and makes us better and makes us look more like him? That is absolutely incredible. And that's exactly what the scripture is pointing to here to. Uh, look there at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if God is the perfect dad, I think the natural question then is what kind of child are you? What kind of child are you? Are you the angry kid that's just kind of done and not really on board for any form of discipline or training or anything that you don't like whatsoever and you just run? I'm out. I want out of the family. Are you the crazy kid? This past week, uh, Holly's been in a little bit of a phase where sometimes when she's walking, she just has to be holding on to mom or dad. Just this past week, she was holding on to my finger 
She didn't like that I was trying to get her to go a different direction and pick her up and going for dinner, I believe it was. And she just started booking it the other way, but she would not let go of my finger. And I just thought, this is absolutely ridiculous, but isn't this the perfect picture of us sometimes? How on one hand, we so desperately know that we need to cling on to the Lord, that we want him so badly, but at the same time, we just do not want anything to do with where he's leading, with where he's going, with what our course looks like, and want to be booking it the other way, completely out of the family at the same time, holding on to the finger of God and running as far and as fast as we can the other way. Such a great picture of what uh, we look like sometimes. And I thought, man, it is just so worth stopping and thinking about what that looks like and what that is. Because at its root, that is insanity. That is absolute insanity. I think it's just worth putting a picture, uh, a finger on it. Finally, are you the trusting kid? Maybe you don't like Uh, All of dad's decisions, maybe you don't like where you're headed, maybe you don't like the discipline that is coming, the training that you have to experience, but you know that you love him, you know that he loves you, you know that you trust him, and so because of that, man, I'll endure any training, any discipline that comes my way. Endurance. It's required whether you're in a race, whether you're in a fight, whether you're just part of the family. Let me pray. Dear Lord, um, God, thank you for just this chance to be together, God. Um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for this encouragement. Uh, Man, again, encouraging and convicting uh, and challenging all, all at the same time. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Uh, as we passionately pursue you, Lord, would we drop anything that is not helping us get towards you? Because in our deepest of hearts, that's what we want the most. That's what we need the most is passionate pursuit of you. Um, Lord, I pray in those areas where you're providing a way out, Lord, I pray that we would take them, that we would fight. Um, God, we desperately need you in the middle of that. I pray for wisdom in what that battle, that fight of temptation, endurance looks like. And Father, I pray here uh, at the end, as there are just moments in life that you are using as training in our lives, I pray that we would have the vision to see you as a loving Father that is genuinely out for our best interest. Um, Lord, we hold on to your finger as tight as we can, and we just follow you. We just follow you. And so, Lord, in our hearts, even right now, we say, God, I'm not running away. I'm holding on. I'm walking to you. It's dinner time, and that's a good thing. I'm coming with you, Lord. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now the savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow Your name, O oh Lord. Your name, your name is victory. Your praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. Your praise will rise to Christ our King. That held us now, give.
Thank you again, worship team, and thank you. Thanks for hanging out and being here with us today. Hey, there's one more thing that I wanted to share with you that I found in my study this week that I didn't fit into my message, and I thought some of you would enjoy it. I realized, I found that the word race in Greek is the word agon, and that's where we get the word agony from. 
I just thought that people that hate running would just find such a beautiful thing, such a beautiful truth in the fact that running equals agony. Boom, it's in the Bible, right? Go sit on your couch. I'm just kidding. Love you guys. Hopefully you have a fantastic week. Let us know if there's anything that we can be praying for. We love you. We'll see you soon.